0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, and I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And it's Friday. yay! For a lot of people, not everyone, I know not everyone lives on the same weekly schedule. But for a lot of people, it's the end of the week, which means uh, it's time for our little casual chats about the topics we have covered this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those being Caspar David Friedrich, who uh, is uh, such an amazing painter and really more influential than he usually gets credit for. Uh, He's one of those ones where he was so prolific... Anytime we do a painter, it's always tricky because you want to talk about absolutely everything and you can't because <laughs> then you would just be uh, talking about descriptions of paintings and or books or whatever forever and ever and, and not getting to the meat of their story. So you have to kind of carefully parse those out. Um, one of his paintings that I wanted to talk about and I just couldn't find the right space for it in that episode is his painting, The Sea of Ice, which he did uh, in 1823, 1824. And this is one of those paintings where it is, uh, you realize only after a while, at least I, the first time I looked at it when I was much, much younger, it took me a while to realize there's a boat in this painting uh, because it is basically like this big moment of conflict on a sheet of ice where it has driven up chunks of the ice into the air and then you kind of see that a boat is involved and it's kind of off to the side and it's very small by comparison to the composition of the rest of the picture which are these big chunks of ice floating in a sea and that doesn't sound when I describe it like maybe the most compelling thing but when you look at it it is an incredibly dramatic image um, with some really beautiful like angular work that's quite um Detailed and engaging in ways that one would not expect of that subject matter, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I uh, I just pulled it up here on my computer while you were talking because I didn't immediately know what that one looked like. And uh, you might imagine if it's if if it's a field of ice or a sea of ice that it would mostly be in tones of like. White and blue and gray, which there is a lot of, but then there's also this sort of underlayer that's more golden and brown um, of, like, the ice that's been more, like, gotten more dirt in it.
0: Yeah. That kind of thing. Oh, I love this painting so It's really much. interesting. Um, it's very dramatic, which, again, that's kind of the draw for me, anyway, of of um, any of Casper Friedrich's work. It's because he, he does. We talk about in the episode, like, his work with sepia and how that really made him uh, kind of hyper-skilled at contrast with a limited color palette. Mm -hmm. And that plays over into his work even once he's working in oils and he's using a much wider color palette. He still has this incredible sense of play within small areas even of painting where it's like this is only a couple colors and shades but yet it's super dynamic. Um, And really evocative. Yeah, uh, he's one of those those people that it's interesting because you don't get a lot of information about his inner life. Uh, he was painting all the time. He wasn't really writing down his thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of our, our impressions of those are based on his friends and family interpreting his behavior, which is why there has been so much debate over things like whether or not the deaths of his uh, three siblings when he was young were really what informed his kind of darker themes uh, since he did paint a lot about death and funerals. Um, Or if he just found that beautiful because he did also grow up in a place that um, is high contrast in terms of just the environment, right? Mm -hmm. It's uh, a port town that is on the ocean in a place that gets very cold. Uh, So, yeah, it's a... And plus he had many influencers that we talked about throughout the episode that also probably shifted how he was going to um, interpret the world around him and and reposition it for the viewer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and the idea of the sublime was such a big part of the romantic movement. And, like, that is a word that I would use to describe a lot of his work. If you're sitting at home and you're like, Tracy and Holly, what are you doing? You're describing paintings on an audio podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much everything of his that survives today there are, are pictures of it online, so you can, uh, when you get to a computer, if you're listening in your car or whatever, um, there's just a ton of it that you can spend hours looking at if you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are our entire archives online dedicated to just his work. He was, as I said, very prolific. Um you know, he wanted to make a living doing this and he was very cognizant that he had to be making money. Uh, and consequently, like, that drove him to be, I I don't know that I would say a workaholic, but he he never really took any big hiatus times in mm-hmm. his life. So, uh, again, yet another fascinating painter that... I do wish, like, someone would just magically find a diary of his where we find out that really he was thinking about, like, bunnies and butterflies at all times. Oh. Just because it would crack me up. Okay. Uh, probably that is not what he was thinking about at all times, but it would be funny. Uh, but I hope that, uh, anytime we do an episode about an artist again, because I love art, uh, that people will maybe be, um, uh, catalyzed to go check out that, that artist's work because especially in the case of Friedrich, like you said, you didn't know his name. A lot of people don't, uh, but he is still influencing artists today. So it's worth, uh, considering his work so that you can contextualize the things that you see around you now in both art, architecture, even some writers will cite his work as very inspirational. And that kind of gives context to to how the past is still impacting the present all the time.
1: So our other episode this week was on the lunch counter sit-ins, uh, included being the Greensboro lunch counter sit-ins, but also the greater sit-in movement that s- started before that and continued into the 1960s. Um, Interestingly to me, this is, uh, I grew up uh, 45 minutes to an hour from Greensboro. uh, Maybe... 30 to 45 minutes on a good day from Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem's gotten bigger since since I was growing up. Uh, So slightly closer to Winston-Salem than to Greensboro. But my perception as a child growing up in, you know, the 1980s and 90s was definitely that Greensboro was a nicer place. (laughs) Nicer, I mean, in terms of that same quality that we were basically talking about um, in the show. So that, that perception of what Greensboro was like uh, has has persisted some of that is because Greensboro was a little bit larger and had like somewhat larger concert venues and stuff so a lot of times if like a a band I was interesting interested in was coming through they were playing in Greensboro but not once in Salem but in spite of our proximity to Greensboro uh, the lunch counter sit-ins were never a huge part of the um black history month and or civil rights movement discussions or North Carolina history discussions. Which right there, right
0: down the street. I mean, you would think, and again, this is probably through rose colored glasses, that like they would have been doing school field trips. There.
1: Yeah. Well, also I graduated from high school in nineteen ninety-three. Um, so though like the Woolworth store would have still been open Functional. And all
0: that. <laughs> Did it ever get while it was Standing, and you might not know the answer to this, like a historic marker or anything? Or was it just a thing?
1: I think so, but I don't know for sure. I did not look that up. Fascinating. Um, yeah, and of course now it is a civil rights center and, right. and museum. So now it would be a totally appropriate place to take a school field trip. Um, so yeah, that was just an interesting disparity of my own
0: That That is fascinating. The the, um, episodes on the civil rights movement are so hard to do. Uh, I literally, I mean, this has happened numerous times, and I know I cry at everything. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry when I look at art. But, like, I got so angry. I was, like, angry crying at one point during this episode, and we had to stop (laughs) because it's so frustrating to me. Like, my brain kind of projects to, like— why would you do that to another human, and then I'm yeah. like lost, then I'm gone. So I have to disassociate sometimes just to get through the material.
1: Can I tell everyone which part yeah made? it it was the part about the hot chocolate, yeah, it was like the thing that just caused and i uh I actually had the same response when I was doing the um the research for this like the. When there's something that's as big as a sit-in movement that is involved in so many cities and there's so much going on, it's impossible to to do justice to every single thing that happened. like even if we had just read off a list of cities where there were sit-ins and how long the sit-ins lasted, like that would that still wouldn't really give a sense of the entire thing or detail about any of the individual things. So there's this process of like figuring out which things am I going to focus on. And I included that much detail about that specific cigar store sit-in because charging people extra money for the hot chocolate after having previously denied them service just made me so angry. Like it wasn't something that I was shocked about having happened. No, it not like at I'd, all. It 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 was more. It was just so petty. It is such a petty it is thing to the do.
0: Pettiest way to try to dehumanize and insult somebody else. Yeah. That that's where I'm like how can you in good conscience slide that bill across the counter knowing that you have just done this really really jerk thing. Yeah. Out of cruelty. Like I Right. <sighs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like we know we know there are so many more more horrible things and less horrible like there's so much else to be angry about but like that particular thing just really really got to me as I was uh, researching
0: it. That often happens to me. I wonder if it happens to you. Uh, it happened to me in an episode we have not recorded yet, but that I have been researching recently, where it's like little life moments that push me over the edge. Mm-hmm. We're often talking about like big, huge events and horrific things. And sometimes mm-hmm. those are easier to get through than those little like minutiae level yeah. unkindnesses. yeah. Everybody treat each other more nicely at all times.
1: Also on a more humorous note. Hooray! um, I had 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 the lunch counter sit-ins on my episode list to do for a while. Um, And uh, uh, relatively frequently, I'll realize that like a big milestone anniversary of something that has been on the list for a while, like I'll realize that milestone anniversary is coming up and I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll do it in conjunction with that Maybe more folks will be interested in, like, looking into that. Maybe it will draw some new folks into the podcast with the timing there. Um, and I, when I said I'm going to do this in uh, in the start of 2020, thought in my head that it was the 50th anniversary of the sit-ins because I cannot add. So, <laughs> so then I actually did the math, and I was like, oh, 60 years yeah. Still a nice route number, but not the fifty that was like stuck in my head. I do that all my the,
0: arithmetic. All the time. The turning of the century throws me off all the time. I'm yeah. embarrassed to admit. That that um decade of aughts gets me. So like that's mm-hmm. where I drop it out in the the quick math in my head. I'm not proud of yeah. this fact, but I own it.
1: Yeah. It's also January and I, as one of the few people in the world who still writes checks for anything ever. <laughs> Um, I had to write a check for work that was done on our on our house a few days ago. Um, and I dated the check 2019. <laughs> so nice. 2020. Nice. So yeah, that's some insight into just my personal wow. non-math ability. I'm trying to remember the last time I wrote a check.
0: I literally can't think of the last time I wrote a check. I did stumble across a checkbook recently and I was just mm-hmm. like, like it's in like a junk drawer. Mm-hmm. that I never look in and I was like, well, I guess it's good that I know where it is, but yeah I ever use it I don't know
1: yeah for me, there's um the person who does my hair takes cash or checks um and sometimes I just haven't been to an ATM or whatever yeah um and then uh, that's that's overwhelmingly the check is the check for getting my hair done uh, but then we've also had various people come through doing work on our home that, for whatever reason, like they don't have a credit card reader with them or whatever. So anyway, that's everyone. Everyone, now you know now how you know. I use checks.
0: <laughs> I mean, the flip is that there are occasions where you run into those, and I'm always like, uh, I don't like to touch paper money because I think it's filthy, and also I don't oh, yeah. carry checks. What do you do?
1: <laughs> well, and I, um, when I moved to Massachusetts, I came up here to look at apartments And it didn't occur to me that we were actually going to find the apartment that we wanted. I thought we were going to be looking at apartments, and then Patrick was going to have to, like, take it from there based on what we had seen and what we liked or didn't like. Uh, But instead, we did find the apartment that we wound up renting for a few years, and the apartment rental agency needed a check, and I had not brought a check with me. And so we did this. Uh, we could also use cash, and we had to do this thing where we went to multiple ATMs, oh, yeah. taking out you the, the maximum withdrawal amount. Yeah, none of this is relevant to the <laughs> Greensboro lunch counter sit-ins at all. But folks have asked us, can we talk some more just randomly? Sometimes yeah. we'll try to keep that to a reasonable limit. Sure, it's a random now, story. Now for you everyone. know how we handle money in our lives. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there uh, there is, uh, like I said, in the episode, there is a documentary about the lunch counter sit-ins called February one. Um, it currently is part of um, Amazon Prime streaming. If folks have that, or I I guess if you don't have prime, it might be something that can be rented online. and it has interviews with uh, with the three of the four Greensboro four who were surviving at that time. Um, One has since passed on since then. Um, So a lot of like firsthand accounts of theirs and their family members, various things that we didn't get into. And uh, some recreations of the sit-in because there wasn't footage of some aspects of it that I felt like were actually really well done because I know that's tricky to do in a documentary. Yeah. Anyway, happy Friday, everyone. (laughs) I hope we didn't bore anyone too terribly with our discussion of writing checks. (laughs)
0: Enjoy your weekend.